Welcome to episode 22 of Through the Noise with me, Alex Banks. Now, today I'm excited to welcome Bilal Zaidi. Now, Bilal is the founder and CEO of Creator Lab, a podcast and digital marketing consultancy. Now, each week, Bilal interviews some of the best creators and business minds on this earth, including the likes of Gary Vee, Anthony Pompliano, and Scott Harrison, the founder of Charity Water. Bilal is also one-third of the Not Investment Advice podcast with co-hosts Jack Butcher and Trong Fan. Uh, before going full-time with the Creator Lab, Bilal was Director of Brand Partnerships at Charity Water after spending seven and a half years at Google helping brands grow their digital presence, including Puma, ASOS, and Under Armour. Bilal, welcome to the show. Thanks for, thanks for the info, Alex. Good to be here. So when you were 16 to 18, right, doing array levels, you were running a e-commerce store, leading you to almost not going to university. Now, ultimately, you ended up studying at Imperial, uh, doing your undergrad there. Big shout out to Imperial, of course. Now, why was this step important at the beginning of your career versus saying, look, I'm not going to listen to my parents and just continue on with e-commerce? Yeah, I mean, the truth is, uh, I probably thought I knew more than I actually did, you know, so like a lot of 16 year olds or a lot of 21 year olds and probably a lot of 34 year olds, which is me now, uh, you often think you know more than you do. And that's kind of how, uh, you know, I was just to give a quick backstory. I kind of grew up in East London to kind of work into middle class family, just, you know, regular uh, family. Um, and so making money became really important. Our family was basically in overdraft every single month. And even though my dad had a pretty good job on paper, it was just always kind of like month to month for us. Um, so just making a little bit of extra money always became uh, a nice little thing for me to be able to pay for my bus fare and the, the extra food I needed and trainers or whatever you're buying at that age. Um, so yeah, I kind of like started this thing, started selling clothes and stuff in school um and a bunch of other stuff and then eventually turned that into an e-commerce store kind of by accident and yeah you're referencing the you i've probably talked about it elsewhere but around 18 when we go to university i was considering should i actually go to university or not and um i ended up just really going mainly because my parents really wanted me to go and i guess i always was going to go but I, I i did consider like taking a break and seeing you know like a year or two to see if i could make something of myself without going um but it was always kind of like on the docket my parents were like no no that's not happening they're like pakistani immigrants and i kind of gave in uh but yeah so my um whole approach to it ended up being like let's just go with the flow see how it goes and now in hindsight it was obvious like if i had left like the education system back then i would have missed out on a lot of life experience and honestly i'd say like the actual education part this is almost cliche by this point but like 99.9% .9 of what I know is not really from what I learned at university, even though I had a good time there. Um, well, when I say learn, I mean like in the lecture, in the classroom, right? But the actual life experience of growing up and going and living on your own and making friends of all these different people um, and going through that process, I think was really important for me. And, um, you know, kind of getting out of my little bubble in East London. So that was another big part of it. Um, and then I eventually I ended up going to Google at around straight after university, essentially. And uh, if I hadn't gone through that process uh, to go to university, I probably wouldn't have got that job. 
And that obviously changed my whole trajectory and like the people I got to know and, and be friends with. And it just kind of opened my world to a whole new new world, essentially. So um, who's who's to say, though, that if I if I didn't go to university, maybe I would have you know landed somewhere fine. Um, but I'm glad I did. I will say, though, for the future, for like my kids, if I have kids in the future, uh, it would be interesting to see. I'd say like in 20 years time, do they all need to go to a three, four year course and study in a university for, you know, in the US is hundreds of thousands of dollars. The UK is a little bit cheaper than that. But I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I won't, won't encourage them. I'll kind of see what the situation is then. But yeah, I, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's kind of how, how I feel, feel about now in hindsight. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, moving from that stage of your life a little bit further, you were then at Google for seven and a half years and ultimately started the Creator Lab podcast whilst you were at that gig. Where did that drive come from, Bilal? And I guess, how did the genesis of the Creator Lab take place? Um, so, yeah, I was I was originally in Dublin, Ireland, which is the European headquarters for Google for a couple of years. It's basically like a big university campus with, you know, 21-year-olds to 28-year-olds mostly. And, you know, people from all over EMEA. It was really, really fun campus, basically. Um, and then I ended up going to Google London and then eventually to New York. So that just gives a, a paints a picture of like, I wasn't just in one place. Um, and, and what happened is every couple of years, I needed something new to kind of, you know, keep the learning curve going, if so to speak. So by the time I got to New York, it was 2013. I'd already been there three, three, four years by the time I was like really settled in there. Um, and I just kind of hit a roadblock. I was I kind of felt like I'd stopped learning um, and to to be completely transparent, like I didn't have a green card, so I couldn't like just leave the job um, as much as I, like I didn't like hate my job, but I wasn't thriving in it. I, I kind of could do the job like the back of my hand and it was just really, it was getting a little bit too easy and I wasn't really challenged. And so my two options were, can I find another role within Google to keep that going like I did twice before? Or would I leave? Because um, actually, just before I moved to New York, I was almost leaving to start a company. I'd been working on it for several months, about six months. And then this opportunity came up in New York. So I ended up just taking it. Um, so that was one option. And for various reasons, which I don't need to bore you with, that wasn't really a good option for me, mainly because of like promotion cycles and all that sort of internal politics. Uh, so I kind of needed something else to to kind of extend my learning curve, as I said. Um, and, I, you know, I was, I was really intellectually kind of bored. And I said, like, well, what do I like doing? And I kind of went through this process of writing out. You know, there's a lot of times where you know in your head certain things, but until you write out on paper, I feel like you don't really organize those thoughts as well. So I kind of write, wrote out all these questions, uh, answers to questions like, what do I spend my time? It sounds kind of cheesy, but it really helped me. It was like, uh, what are the you know, what are tasks and things I do that pass time easily. And, you know, like things that basically give me energy. I was trying to figure out those things. And, you know, you've probably heard of this concept called Ikigai. I didn't actually know that phrase at the time, but I was essentially using uh, that framework, which is, I can't even remember all the segments, but it's something like things you're good at, things the market will pay for. Uh, and there's a third or fourth one as well. But essentially, like looking at all your strengths and where you could be helpful. And uh, one of the things I always looked at was like, I just love having really good conversations with people. Um, that I was obviously doing that already just for fun, like many of us do. 
Um, but I was finding myself having these conversations with entrepreneurial people, which, you know, we'd meet for lunch or we'd go for dinner or go for drinks. And then, um, you know, three or four hours later, I, I always looked at myself and said, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I had just recorded that? And someone else, even if five people heard that, they would have gained from all the stuff this person was sharing with me. And so that was one. So it was two parts. One was a personal drive. And then the third, the second part was like, this could be really helpful for people. And I was looking at what was out there at the time. And there were really just, you know, there's, there's kind of two types of business podcasts. There's the ones which are just telling a fun story, which is the kind of dragon's den shark tank approach, you know, which is amazing. And I think that's great. It's probably why I got into business in the first place was probably like dragon's den or something in the UK or the apprentice. Um, but when you actually go and start a business, so you actually work in the real world, you realize like a lot of the time those podcasts, like, you know, uh, how I built this is the one I would always think about. Amazing podcast, but it's really just following a story arc and it's made for entertainment, really, right? Uh, I don't think they're actually that helpful for someone who's in the trenches building stuff. Um, so I kind of took it from that frame. I said, I'm not a real journalist. I'm just a curious operator i'm someone who's actually got experience i've built stuff since i was a kid i've worked with big companies and startups so maybe i can bring a unique angle and just have those conversations like i already do and just share it with people and if people like it then hopefully it'll grow and if not then i'll have this library of conversations that i had which i would gain from anyway and that's that's kind of a win-win um so that's kind of the genesis of it uh, so it's multiple parts both personal and kind of trying to help um expose people to kind of people that and examples I didn't really get to see when I first got into business. And uh, you might have heard me use this example before, but you know, growing up, I didn't really know anyone who earned more than like 35, 40K a year in you know pounds a year, which if you're from the UK, which you are, is not a terrible salary, right? But it's not, you know, thriving. And it's definitely not, um, you know, the sort of stuff now I've learned way more about that there's so many different ways that you can earn money and make a life for yourself and just seeing those examples were so helpful for me so i wanted to kind of share more examples with other people as well yeah you mentioned a great point there on needing something to keep that learning curve going i think it's so important to understand where your zone of genius lies right below really at the intersection of what you enjoy and also what you're good at because then ultimately you know taking that time to have that inward reflection you can then go out and do what you're truly passionate about and actually give that value to the world. So uh, really, really like that point there. Completely. Now, with the Creator Lab, you've interviewed some incredible individuals from Gary Vee, Anthony Popiano, Scott Harrison over at Charity Water. What are some of the greatest takeaways to your life, Bilal, from interviewing such a diverse pool of talent? Yes, yeah, I get asked that a lot, and it's a really interesting question because it's hard to pinpoint one but i'll try to give you what's really just resonated over time and and not just like interviewing them but like a lot of those people have become friends over the years now and uh that's kind of like i was just talking to my girlfriend about it so a few days ago i had dinner with a guy called sam pa who's founder of the hustle i met him through my podcast and we've become kind of like internet friends and now we're meeting you know we've become real life friends as well and there's a bunch of other people like Jack, obviously. I met him through Creator Lab and we've started now another podcast together. And there's another 10 examples of that. And so I would say that, that I only want to mention that because it's not just from the conversation because I feel like sometimes a conversation can be limited. You can just kind of scratch the surface. 
And then when you, when you really get to know them, you realize like, oh, this is the good and the bad part. And that's why I always do like those long form conversations because, uh, you know, you'll hear even Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss talk about at 45 minute mark, that's where the real stuff starts coming out. Uh, because a lot of the people I interview are kind of trained professionals, right? Like they've trained salespeople, essentially. If you're a CEO or a founder, 90% of your job is selling to investors, to employees, to customers, and you've got your story down. And that's kind of the, the only reason I mention that as a preface. Um, so I, I'd say the the real stuff that stuck with me um, is, first of all, you know, they're just human beings. You know, they're not any different to most of us. It, obviously, they are really talented and smart and have done really cool things. And I, you know, uh, celebrate them for that. But, you know, they have their flaws like anyone else, you know, and and I think a lot of the time when we do interviews and stuff like that, you can put a lot of people on a pedestal and not realize like, oh, they're just trying to figure it out like all of us. And I think when you're going through the process of creating stuff yourself, the biggest hurdle for a lot of people is the the mental struggles. And that's the part where I do dig into a lot on my podcast, Create Lab, because I think that's one of the hardest parts is like the doubts and dealing with the doubts and, oh, this messed up or being overworked and how do I keep on track and how do I put on a brave face and all those things. And so that was the first thing. It's just like they're just like normal people, like all of us, they're going through the same things, but they've they've taken a big leap and that is, you know, the hardest thing. Um, that, the second thing is really around, you know, just enjoying it while – the journey is happening, not just at the end, because most of those people, honestly, uh, as much as I respect them, it, I might not be one. I might not want to be ninety percent of them, right, uh, as an individual, because they're running their race, and that is true to them. But I need to find what is true to me, and not just use their template and say, "Well, this guy became a billionaire, therefore I need to do what he's doing." So. Uh, one like moment that stands out is a guy called Jim McKelvey who started Square. He's a billionaire. He started it with Jack Dorsey. And we had like maybe an hour and a half conversation and telling me all this amazing stuff about business and how he designed Square and you know how what it felt like to be a billionaire the first time and all that stuff. And right at the end, he tells me his mum committed suicide right when he was a kid. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I, I, I almost didn't get to that point. He kind of volunteered himself. I had no idea. And it was one of those things where you realize, like, this guy's been living with this his whole life, and I've never had anything, thankfully, uh, anything at that scale. And a lot of us would judge that person and think, oh, he's a billionaire, and he's just got everything he needs, and not realizing, like, okay, this person's got their own pain and struggles. And um, and that, you know, it just gives you a lot of empathy for everyone who's going through that journey. And I have the the most respect for anyone who actually takes a risk and create something because I know how much uh, goes into it. Um, so yeah, that's the other one. It's just like making sure you're not waiting right until the end. Like, oh, I've finally hit this big number um, and I sold my company and now I'm going to go and uh, enjoy myself. Like that's not the way to do it because most of those people, like for example, Sam, I just saw him two days ago. Uh, I don't know how much he's talking about all of this at the moment, but he's basically got a new company and after having a successful exit already, uh, with the hustle and he's probably made more money than he ever needs in his life now um, he can easily retire but he's naturally someone who wants to go and create another business and you can just hear him talk about it he gets energized and excited about it versus we were talking about jack jack is a creative right and jack's energy comes from 
him messing around making a thumbnail for our NIA pod when he's way overqualified to be making thumbnails for us, you know. But I know he loves doing that and he will do it for fun. And so for, for me, that is like really being honest with myself and saying, what are those things that I love doing? And how do I fill my day with more of those things? Obviously, money is important. You need to feed your family and do the things you need to do. But how much is actually enough? And I think that is something I've got a lot better at accepting, not just, you know, constantly feeding my ego and saying, I need to do X, Y, Z, just to, to running and running and running forever and just taking a step back and saying, actually, what I have right now is pretty amazing. And um, yeah, so that's, that's probably the, the few things that really stuck with me. NIA pod definitely has some killer thumbnails, so shout out Jack there. Below. Yeah, man, he's one of the best at it. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's very good at it. A hundred percent. But I, we do have a caller, Zach, uh, who I know wants to ask a question. So, Zach, mic over to you, my friend. Hey, Zach. Thanks, Alex. Hey, hey Bilal. Uh, I've, I've loved uh, this podcast so far, and uh, I, I typically don't call in, but one thing you just said like really piqued my interest, and I'd love to hear you talk more about uh, when you talked about, you know, interviewing, talking to all these famous or successful people and uh, learning about though one of the commonalities is maybe the mental hurdles or struggles people go through and that that's not really uh, an anomaly. And I guess my question for you uh, and Alex too, if, if you want to chime in is this seems to be a recurring theme that, you know, mental health is something that, more people than you would think deal with or is is on their radar than is discussed. And I feel part of the reason that's the case is because it only comes out in really intimate situations like what, what Bilal just discussed. So I was wondering if you guys have any commentary on the future of that, if, if there's any chance you think that becomes a more open discussion and doesn't have to get it doesn't have to wait to come out until people are on these podcasts after they've made everything. And, and if uh, just, I would love to get either of your thoughts on that. Yeah. Uh, Alex, I can chime in unless you had something to, to share straight away. Yeah. Feel free to go ahead first, Bilal, then I'll come in after. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, great, great question, Zach. And I definitely think uh, I have a kind of a nuanced take on this because I think, we've gone from one extreme to the other. So one extreme was, you know, especially as being men, right? Like I, could, I can't talk for everyone, but just being a guy growing up, it's like put on a brave face, keep your head up, um, you know, you know, like don't talk about your feelings, right? Which I think is obviously not a good thing, right? And so I think that is what we kind of, a lot of us grew up with. And for that reason, we kept a lot of our feelings inside. We didn't want to tell people when it, and then one day it blows up and you have a breakdown or you like punch someone in the face or do something stupid that you weren't supposed to do, right? So that's an extreme example. But now I think if I'm being honest, like in 2022, maybe not when I started the pod, because when I started the pod, it was 2015, 16. Um, I do think we've made a lot of progress in that way. I think if anything, we've gone almost the other way in some places. I'd say in tech, actually, it's very um, you know, top of mind for everyone within organizations to give people space and to not make, uh, you know, um, have people feel like, you know, they're overwhelmed and stuff like that, which I think is obviously a good thing for people's well-being. Um, so I think we've moved in a direction where that is being talked about more, maybe not just in podcasts, and it's, it's going to take time and cultural shifts for people to actually feel comfortable sharing it. Um, in wider spaces. But at the same time, if I'm being really honest, I also think uh, 
we kind of have gone the opposite direction in a way and almost overcorrected in some places. And of course, this is varies depending on where, what company you're in and, uh, you know, which country you're in, et cetera. Um, where like some people just get sad, which all of us get sad, right? There's a difference between being clinically depressed where you literally can't wake up every day and you want to commit suicide or something at that level to, hey, I'm having a bad day to, oh man, this is a really tough thing at work. How do I, I need a break and I need to come back and attack this problem from a different angle, right? So obviously that's just like three examples along a spectrum. And I'd say that sometimes by putting a label on it, the middle, the first, the last two that I mentioned, which are kind of types of problems which all of us go through and should hopefully have the capacity and support to be able to get through. Sometimes it can become a crutch for people too, where it just becomes like, oh, well, there's this thing, mental health, where everyone's talking about it. And I need to take a three, you know, I'm not going to say the name here, but like someone was telling me about this recently. Um, a founder that they'd invested in has said, hey, I basically can't deal with things right now. I'm going to take a three-month break and I'm, uh, you know, whatever. And and the investor was kind of pissed because they were like, man, like, I get it. Like, we, no one wants you to burn out, but, like, we invested all this money in you and you're now taking a three-month break in a now we're going into a recession. And we've all been through this. And as a founder specifically, this is, like, something where you need to – get through it and we're here to support you to get through it and obviously i'm not saying either of these things are right or wrong but there's there is also an element which is just when you're a founder specifically like it is all on you a lot of the time and you kind of go into it knowing that that mental burden is going to be on you and sometimes you kind of need to again i don't want to revert back to what we said as kids but sometimes it is really about finding ways to cope with um the situation and finding a way to get through because that is the common underlying factor that all the people I've interviewed have been able to do is they were resilient enough to kind of get through the hundreds of hurdles that came their way. Uh, but of course, there's the percentage of people that is really it's just so bad that you say, man, that is terrible. Like no one should be taking their life or really messing uh, with their livelihood because of a company or because of work. Like no one wants that, of course. So it's a difficult dis discussion to have. Because I think like any of the things I just said could be taken out of context and people could come, you know, gunning for you because it sounded like I wasn't being empathetic to, to a certain group of people. But yeah, Zach, that's kind of how, how I think about it right now. No, sure. I, I, I completely uh, agree with your response in that it's reached a point to whereas before nothing of that nature would be discussed to now maybe there's a, there's a little bit more nuance that there's the hard line of clinical depression, which is, you know, can't be debated and, and that needs to be taken seriously. But then there's also learning to manage the stress and maybe anxieties that may come with just having a lot of responsibility yeah. and a lot of work. And that is an aspect that you can't necessarily shy away from because that's part of going on your own path and founding something, there will naturally be those stresses yeah. and concerns. Yeah. And if you're told that that's abnormal, that you feel that you may want to take time off until you don't feel that, whereas that's not the case. And, and that is a completely separate issue from telling someone who's clinically depressed to just suck it up and keep going. Exactly. And I, I, at least I feel that's kind of what you were getting yeah, at. Yeah, completely. And I think the problem is it's a really difficult problem because it's not, like if you break your finger, you can take a, have an x-ray and you can see the finger's broken, right? But with something like this, 
you need to be diagnosed and even honestly sometimes you're overdiagnosed right like because the way our again this is a whole different uh, topic for a, we could take up the whole hour the way our medical system works is we're very you know we'd go to the, go to a doctor and then like, hey take a bunch of pills when you probably didn't need to do that straight away and i, I say this to someone who has clinical depression in our, in my direct family and like have many friends who have gone through this at a very deep level so i i hate depression i i would say i was maybe depressed uh quite deeply depressed in like 2015 when i started creator lab as well so it's definitely something i care a lot about but i think like like i mentioned the, the punchline is there's a balance between accepting that like if you're going to be a founder of a company and have a successful exit or do something which is very 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 hard it's 0.001 percent of people get to do that it is supposed to be hard right like if it was that easy everyone would just do it because it's a great outcome for most people and to be a leader and to be someone who's able to rise to the top in their field it is always going to be difficult because people who are on top are going to try to stay on top and so unfortunately when you get to a stage when you're competing with businesses or other people it is cutthroat and i and i hate to say it like that because you can still live a very good life without having to compete in that world i would say i've not probably never competed at that level where i feel like in danger of my own well-being but there's definitely been times where i'm like man this is really really tough and there's a lot of pressure on me right now and um you know my girlfriend right now she's going through something with her own business where it's just been really high stress for several months and she's getting through it but every day i'm there to support her and saying look you're you're killing it you're doing the best you can there's things out of your control let's we need to take a break let's do these things and that's what you need to do you need support system of friends family and colleagues who are on the same page, but also accepting that this is a hard thing to do and the mental struggle is part of your task, you know? So that's the kind of how, how I feel about it. Thanks so much. Appreciate course, it. Great question. Yeah, that was an exceptional question, Zach. Um, <clears throat> I guess just to add my two cents onto that, I think there's a very clear conflict of interest where society constructs these systems to keep you dependent. I think to Bilal's example, they want you to buy these drugs to keep on buying the drugs rather than actually addressing the root cause and it's so important to actually prioritize rest and your mental health when you see yourself going through these tough times and get the right help accordingly because it isn't about dampening the problem it's about addressing it head-on speaking to those right people around you in your support group so you can find a path to a real solution that's at least right for you um, we're all different so that will look very very um, very, very different from, from person to person, but absolutely something that yeah. has to be faced head on. And I think it relates somewhat to this work paradox, right? Where, you know, coming from hustle culture from, you know, the, the decade prior, you know, everyone was of go, 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 put in the hours, put in the 90, 100 hour weeks and you'll be set versus actually, you know, you actually get more done um, by working effectively. And what I mean by that is, look, the way, I, the way I like to approach it is working like a lion, right? Sprinting, resting, reassessing, actually building this marathon of sprints rather than just a sustained drone of action. Have these bursts. Um, and I think doing that and doing that thoughtfully can be far more conducive to a positive outcome than just trying to keep on going and not really seeing anything tangible as a result of it. Uh, I 100% agree with you, mate. Um, I was just actually going to add one last point and on the happiness side, because 
ultimately, you know, there's a real nuanced discussion on what depression actually is. Is it a chemical, you know, uh, state? Is it a biological state? Is it a, you know, spiritual state for some people? Or is it a circumstance state? Whatever, like caused by all those different factors. I think there's many parts to it, so we, we can't go into all of that today. But one thing I would reference, if anyone's listening to this and is interested, there's a conversation I had with a guy called Tim Urban, who is a writer. He writes for Wait But Why, a really famous blog. He's the number one TED speaker in the world. He's got the number one TED talk in the world. Really, really entertaining, cool guy. But if you go to that episode I did with him, just type in Tim Urban Creator Lab on YouTube or on Google, you, you should find it. And there's timestamps and you can go to the part where we talk about micro and macro happiness. And that is something that, you know, back to your earlier question, Alex, it's really stuck with me. It's just a great frame for, you know, what actually brings you happiness. And this is in, you know, kind of an evolution of the question of like depression and mental health. But a lot of the time, what you're seeking is happiness. And that is a very broad philosophical, uh, you know, word we could talk about all day. But I love the frame of micro and macro happiness. So what, he, what you're saying is there's, from what I can remember, the micro side is the day-to-day. It's like, what is my week look like? What does my day um, look like? What are the things I'm doing every day that bring me happiness or that are sucking my energy away and giving me unhappiness? And then there's, and then there's the macro level, which is, am I going in the right direction? Am I with a partner that I care about? Am, am my family healthy? Am I healthy? Um, you know, you could argue what's micro and macro, but, you know, those bigger questions. And I'd say um, I've now looking back at when I've made those transitions, there's been times where I was seeking the macro happiness and was struggling on the micro side and vice versa. And so what I'd say right now, if I'm being very candid, is I'm probably as happy as I've ever been on the micro side in terms of like day to day. I have so much time. I get to do all the things I want to do. I have, you know, real comfort in, you know, income and everything like that. But I will say macro side, when I left Google to go to say Chaitawar, which we may speak about in a second, was a different scale, right? Because it was, oh, I'm going to leave a job, which, you know, I've learned a bunch of stuff, but now I'm going to something that has a bigger cause. And there's a lot more to it that is, you know, you can't living for something beyond yourself. Uh, but yeah, so I'll, I'll reference that. If anyone's interested, you should check that conversation out. He he described it better than I did. Yeah, you mentioned Sam Parr earlier, obviously Tim Urban. And I think digging into another one of those examples, which you just mentioned there, Bilal, you met Charity Waters founder on the podcast, Scott Harrison. I'm really curious to understand what the impetus was to jump ship from Google. Yeah, and so the, the kind of short answer is I was already looking for something new from 2015 i was open to it i wasn't like i mean i don't think i'd applied for any jobs or anything like that but i was kind of on the lookout for what would be my next thing and leaving google after seven years especially you know like to paint a picture of 2010 to 17 so it's a little bit different to now i mean google's still an amazing company but i think you know when i joined it was way smaller and I'd say it was really entrepreneurial, especially the, the, where I was anyway. Like you were really encouraged to create stuff um, and, you know, do stuff in the 20% time and take initiative and all that sort of stuff, which is kind of what I loved about it. And by the time I got to, say, 2015, I was like, okay, I'm not really getting there anymore. It's just a massive company. And the things I've learned, I, I feel like I've kind of hit my ceiling, as I said before. 
Um, and so I kind of went through that exercise again, which was, you know, like I mentioned, I wrote all the things I, I like doing um, and think I could kind of contribute with. Um, but that was for Creator Lab. And it ended up being another thing in the back of my head, which was, you know, we've learned all these skills in business, but how many people are using those skills to actually like, improve real world problems? And you can argue that most businesses are solving real world problems. I would actually agree with that statement. But there are when you zoom out and you look at the 80-20 of the suffering in the world or, you know, real problems. And, you know, there are some terrible problems in the world, right? Like one in 10 people not having access to clean drinking water, which is what I ended up working on, was something I'd kind of heard about in the past, you know, like loosely. But then when I did the research for the podcast and interviewed Scott, um, I was like, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize how much of an impact it had. And without pitching the whole thing, if you're interested, you should either listen to the podcast I did with him. It was episode two of Create Lab right in the beginning or uh, just search for Charity Water The Spring, and there's a 20-minute documentary video just beautifully made. It tells the full story in, about the problem, you, if you're interested. Um, but, yeah, so th when I met him, the, I, he was one of the few nonprofit people that I interviewed. Um, maybe there were one or two others at the time in the first kind of 10 episodes I pre-recorded before I launched. And to put it frankly, like, he was the most inspiring person that kind of blew me away and like you know that includes people like Gary V and you know um you know all the people I interviewed especially for the first 10 were like very established people that were killing it but for some reason when I met Scott it was in person I remember I went to the office in Tribeca and I go in there and it was just this beautiful space and I could see up on the wall behind him there were all these names of people that I recognized that had essentially invested and were contributing to Charity Wars mission uh, which is something called the well. It's like 200 people who pay for the org so that a million people can give in a 100% in a um, fashion. So, you know, it's people like Johnny Ive and Jack Dorsey and the founder of Spotify and Chris Saka and, you know, all these people that I've looked up to growing up as a person who loves business. And I was like, wow, so this guy convinced all those people to gift his charity when most people hate charities or they don't trust charities, let's say. Um, and so I was like, what, there's something special about this guy. And the, the more I learned about him and the organization, I was like, oh, wow, they're actually doing charity in a really beautiful, positive technology forward way, which is all the things I cared about. So, you know, it was at that stage where I was looking for something bigger than me. And to be also frank, you know, I, I was seven years younger or whatever. And I was, you know, in my mid twenties, um, more idealistic than I probably am now, even though I'm still probably idealistic in some ways. And, you know, I was looking for something that was going to inspire me, you know, like many of us millennials have had this um, kind of moment in our lives, like a quarter life crisis, I've described it as. Um, and so when I, when I saw the impact they were directly having, I said, okay, this is really, really interesting. I'm going to do what I can to help them. I wasn't actually looking for a job at the time. So I just left that conversation. It was maybe July, 2015, and then we put the podcast out many months later because I was pre-recording these. And I think maybe nine months later, this job came up. Um, and it just uh, essentially like I, I met someone at an event who mentioned their name. And I went on their website that night thinking, oh, I wonder what they're up to nowadays. And I saw this role popped up. And I was like, this is exactly what I was looking for. And I didn't even know that role existed. you know. And what I was looking for was something with a mission that helped real people something that was not just a typical i wasn't actually looking for a non-profit at all 
I was just looking for something that was maybe more mission orientated. Um, I wanted a leadership role where I had real ownership of what I was doing. And I wanted to use the skills I already had, you know, to be able to, you know, hit the ground running. And the, basically that role doesn't really exist at most nonprofits. Uh, maybe it, it didn't then anyway. So that was kind of how it happened. And, you know, obviously sent him a note, went through the interview process and everything just felt right. And yeah, it was a really great couple of years while, while I was there, man. Really, really cool. And I like, like that idea of, you know, seeing that tangible impact on his wall at the office in Tribeca and going, yeah. holy smokes, this is, this is something that I want to be a part of. Exactly. And I know long term, Bilal, you ultimately wanted to work for yourself. And I think with the early part of your career, preparing well for this leap through a multitude of experience, I'm really interested to know where this drive for independence and intellectual independence stems from. Yeah, good question. I mean, I think I definitely didn't have that growing up up until a certain age. I'd say it was probably around the age of 16. If anyone's heard me on other podcasts, you'll know that 16 was like a really pivotal age for me for many, many reasons. Um, but so up until that point, I would say I was just kind of like every other immigrant kid, right? Like go to school, work hard, follow the rules, you'll live an okay life. Right. And, and that was a really good plan for 99% of people. And it was all my parents ever dreamed of, right, was go to a good school like we thankfully went to and get a good job. And you're going to make enough money to have a wife and kids and a mortgage. And you've made it and they've made it. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think when I started like looking at business and studying more beyond the surface and looking at well, why is it when I look at the rich list that they're all of them are business owners pretty much or investors, right? They're all people who have a stake in something that is greater than just their job um, pretty much on, on, you know, in that way. And obviously that's only one way to measure things, but that was something growing up relatively, uh, I don't want to say poor, but, you know, like, like I said, we were in overdraft every month. That is something you're looking for, right? You know that money is something when you don't have money, you realize how much you need it. And so that was one frame. And so I kind of started digging more and I realized like, okay, the system in the West anyway, where we live, is designed for ownership. You know, we live in a capitalist society. You can argue about the pros and cons of that all day, but that's what we live in right now. Those are the rules of the game. And I, when I learned the rules of the game, I said, okay, this is designed for people to own stuff, which is either own a business or own um, you know, parts of a business through investing, right? And and that kept coming up time and time again. And then later down the road, I learned more about, you know, divorcing your time from your income. So time spent with your income, which is, you know, if anyone's read the famous cliche, uh, but very useful um, tweet storm from Naval Ravikant, how to get rich without getting lucky. Um, one of the things is along the lines of, don't get paid for your time. You know, you need to like separate what your uh, your income is based on the time spent. And that was just a big, you know, it sounds obvious now, but if you just think of like, if I'm being paid to go to a job for nine to five every day, I'm being paid a salary based on my time, there's only a limit to what I could do. And having grown up where I always felt like I could do things faster than a lot of people, you know, even if it's just in the maths class where, I finish pretty quickly and then I'm waiting around for everyone else to finish, not to sound like a 
like a little snob as a kid, but that was kind of what happened. And I would be like, okay, now I'm just waiting around. So then I would, I started the business when I was 16 and everyone would always say, oh, well, you're so young and whatever. Like I remember even when I went to Google that I was 21 and a lot of people were 25, a lot of the Europeans. And they were like, oh, well, you're just 21. You just started your career. And not knowing I'd actually had real tangible experience in the world of internet businesses since I was 16 for five years, more than most of them had had. And so I always had this thing in my head, like, don't accept what the rules of the game are, you, you, or what people think the rules of the game are anyway. And you can always find ways to do things more effectively. And uh, not always, but you, at least you should, you should try. And that was kind of one of the things that um, kind of stuck with me through that kind of early, those early years. And uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of when I, when I learned more about it, I realized like this is how the, the system is designed and I can either just be a part of the system and be a cog in the wheel or I can try to create my own part of the system, you know, and design it in a way that works for me, not just my big employer or someone like that. And again, nothing wrong with having a job. I've had many jobs that I love um, and maybe one day I'll have a job again. Who knows? But that is one of the things where I think it always kind of stuck with me is like, if you want true freedom from time, you need to be able to, uh, of your time, you need to be able to create something that lives without you being there every single minute of the day. Yeah. I think from respecting that this is how the system was designed. I know on the creator lab website, Blau, you wrote that it's, it was refreshing at least to see people living life on their own terms and making an impact through the individuals that you interview. Um, how, how do you see that in terms of yourself where you have this independence of thought, you're, you're now able to live life on your terms, obviously coming from the age of 16, that was incredibly pivotal. Um, why is it important to you now? And I'll preface this by saying I'm not, no one is completely free, right? Like there's always, a boss in a way, whether it's your investors, the market, uh, your partner, <laughs> whatever it is, there's always things you need to take in consideration. So I'm, I'm not saying I'm completely free from anything, right? But I would say that I'm more free than I was, let's say, five years ago, right? So it's always a progression. So I'm moving in a direction which is better than it was five years ago. And so I will say, if I look at this week, I look at my calendar, it was pretty much empty right like i was still doing a bunch of stuff but it was not like no one put something on my calendar that i didn't want to be involved with right so with the exception of this call which we meaning i wanted to be on this call but no one put anything on my calendar apart from this call this week and that is kind of how i realized over time that i really wanted to live which was i want to be proactive so if that means me going and doing 50 calls a week that's fine but i should be choosing those calls it shouldn't be because my boss put a, another meeting about a meeting in my calendar that week, which really just used to annoy me when I'd be in meetings for no reason, where I knew everyone was in there, especially at Google towards the end. I'd be in there with 15, 20 people, and I'm like, no one is doing anything in this meeting. We're all here to try to tell people about the work we're doing instead of just doing the work we should be doing. And that was, you know, if you take an eight-hour workday, I was like, how much work are we actually doing? We're, we're doing two hours of work and six hours of telling people about work. So can I just strip away the six hours and just spend the two hours doing really good, meaningful work? And you know, maybe I take that two hours to eight or a 10 if I choose to go up or down, but I don't wanna just be 
you know, hopping from room to room, pretending like everyone's doing the most productive work. And so, um, yeah, to, to answer your original question, like why, just because for someone like me, mentally, I'm just quite an all or nothing sort of person. So if uh, I, I can't really like pretend. So by the time we got to that stage of my career at Google, I was like, okay, I can't spend my life just being in meetings I don't need to be in. And I need to take that control of my time. And I need to find a way for me to be able to spend the time doing the things I want to do. And the, the answer is why it's important is because that's what makes me happy. For someone else, that is not the same, right? And someone else, they just want to go to a job where they get paid really well. They have a structure. They come home. They can watch TV, spend time with the kids, go on vacations, do whatever they want to do. And that's amazing. Like, I'm so happy for that person. And I like a lot of those things too. Don't get me wrong. But the most important thing for me is, can I look at my week and say, did I spend the time doing the things I wanted to do? And if that literally means me going for a walk for two hours or going and traveling or spending time with my kids, if I had them, then that is also great. But I just want to be able to have that choice. And I think that's kind of what I'm optimizing for at the moment for, the, for those reasons. You also mentioned, um, I love this bit, Bilal, that you overestimate what you can do in one year and underestimate what you can do in three what does the creator lab look like in five years time yeah and i probably didn't make that one up i think i heard it somewhere but yeah um the, yeah it's a really good question so the, the interesting thing with creator lab as i've started not investment advice which is the second podcast that actually started as an idea i had to do that concept and i pitched it to jack and trunk who i'd got to know and said hey guys i've got this idea what I've already got a podcast. Why don't we do an episode that I'll put on Creator Lab and see if we all like it? And if it's good, we can kind of spin it out as it, in its own thing. And, you know, that's basically what happened. We haven't missed an episode since. Uh, it's been every single week. Well, we'll say the interesting thing is Creator Lab, I have, um, I've been doing less. And as much as I will keep doing it, I'm not doing it every week like I like I used to. And, and that's actually an interesting thing because, as much as I love doing Creator Lab, I, you know, doing two podcasts every week is really, really tough. Like to do not investment advice every single week is already really tough. Plus the, the core business I have, which is a digital marketing agency I have. So, so I kind of had to give myself the room to say, okay, let me revisit why I'm doing this and what do I want out of this? And that's kind of where I've landed now, which is I'm going to have conversations with people that I really want to uh, speak to. And I'm not going to put that pressure on myself on Creator Lab specifically for the moment. To, because I've, I've put my pre myself through that pressure on not investment advice because there's two other people and that's been in a really good flow. So that one is still happening every single week. Creator Lab, I'm not doing it every week anymore. So um, the, the answer is five years from now. It's a really, really good question. Who knows? I hope it will still be um, live and kicking. But I've kind of been really happy just to put it as a part of my life. It's not like the core thing where everything is about I need to go – 110% on you know ramping up the podcast and doing all that sort of stuff because truth is it's like I'm an operator business person first and the podcast is a place for me to explore curiosity right and to meet good people and that is the primary reason I do it yeah if I sell a few ads where I read out the subscribe to the economist or sign up to LinkedIn or whatever I'm happy to do that for it to pay for everything but that is not I'm not doing it for money I'm doing it to meet good people and to leave something there for people to learn from that those are two main reasons i do it so i hope it will still be around and i will still be doing what i'm doing uh but i i don't have a big grand plan for it it's always just going to be something where 
I have room to have those great conversations with people that I'm interested in um, learning from. Take us out of digital marketing for a second, at least with the consultancy arm of the Creative Lab. If you weren't working on that today, Bilal, where would you be working on? Yeah, that's a great question, man. Um, I would say this is maybe a little left field, but honestly, the one kind of thing I've had on my bucket list for a long, long life, <laughs> work-wise, and let's see if it ever happens, is uh, I'm a big, big Arsenal football fan, soccer fan if you're American, but we call it football where we're from. And uh, yeah, so actually one of my first things I did online was along with Street Vibes, which is the e-commerce business, uh, I had a website called Arsenal Review and that was you know, something I loved doing. I, I wrote on it almost you know, every, a few times a week for five, six, seven years. I, I don't even remember the time, but I also started that when I was 16. And so, yeah, I, I never miss a game. Last night, I binge-watched the first three episodes of All All or Nothing on Amazon Prime Video where they're following the team around. And that is, honestly, like, if I could ever work on Arsenal in some way, um, that would be really, really fun again. And, and this is one of those things, if I'm framing it from what would be fun and what would be, like, a great life experience, that is kind of where I'm seeing it from. I'm not saying in terms of optimal business opportunities i think it's actually terrible in that way uh, but for the love of something that i genuinely I, I i've never been able to shake it off right like I, i've watched every single game and i'm like obsessed with it because it's just the most fun thing for me and now over the years how complicated and complex even intellectually has got football it's got so much more advanced with tactics and you know strategy all the things i love on the business side um, is is in football and for some reason I, I actually just uh, not I don't want to name drop but I had dinner with the owner of the Boston Celtics last week kind of by accident and we were talking all night about the uh, you know like the business of sport and everything and I'm like man this is so cool like to, to someone who hasn't worked in it and who's kind of like obsessed with the game um, that would be something I'd love to do in the future Um I know, I've really thought about it. I'm like, how can I take kind of like the charity water thing, right? I had no experience that was really, you know, that would say, oh, go and work at charity water, except for when the perfect role turned up, it, I was able to do it. And the way I approach things is always like a new area. I love that. Like I'll dive in, you know, really deep and like learn as much as I can and go all in. And I could see myself doing that with many different things. And maybe one day it would be something like that. So, yeah, I don't know if it will ever happen, but I would, I would love to do that if I, if I could. Amazing. Really, really like that. And I guess to wrap things up on the, the main body of this pod, Bilal, what does your perfect day look like? Um, yeah, also, I like variety. So uh, it's never one thing, but I would say a good as I said, I'm quite an all or nothing sort of person. So over the years, I've had to find a balance. And so as much as I'm not naturally a balanced person, I've like learned to appreciate and like crave it in a way because I know that's how I can sustain myself. So I'd say, you know, right now um, it would be, you know, waking up with a great, I've had a great night's sleep. That's the first big step if I've slept really, really well because that everything else is better that day. Um, I normally would go for a nice long walk in the morning with my girlfriend. That's kind of uh, before I've done any work and, you know, being bombarded with a bunch of emails and text messages and stuff like that. 
Um, and I live right near a beautiful park, Prospect Park in Brooklyn. And that, normally she goes back to do some work and I go for a, for a long walk on my own. And I listen to a podcast or I call my parents. And by the time I come home, I've, you know, we get coffee and stuff like that. So it's just by the time I come home, let's say it's 10 a.m. or whatever. To me, that's already a beautiful day, right? Like the start of the day is I got some sunshine. I got a nice long walk. I listened to something interesting, spoke to people I care about, my parents. You know, that is already, I spent time with my girlfriend. Like that is already like a win, you know? It sounds kind of basic, but just that starting with that nice basics is really, really important to me. And then it's diving into whatever that day's work work is. You know, it might be doing one or two podcasts for Creator Lab and, um, you know, interviewing someone that I've been really looking forward to speaking to. Ideally, that would be in person, right? Like I, I do them all online now since the pandemic, but I might go back to doing in person because it's just so much more fun. And then, honestly, I would say, let's say I did one, Creator Lab episode and one NIA episode because the NIA one is just fun. It's just me and two guys. I don't have to prepare too much for it. I just turn up. Uh, we've kind of like talked throughout the week about stuff we've been interested in. And that is like really, really intellectually stimulating too, but also just fun. Um, yeah, again, this isn't like rocket science, right? Like just basic stuff. But those are things that really give me joy. Um, and then I'd say like I, I basically fast for a lot of the morning, especially right now, I'm kind of going through another health transformation after my two years of being uh, terrible during the pandemic. So having that control of, of the fast really, really helps me as well. So by the time it hits late afternoon, I, I will start to eat something. I would have had coffee and water and stuff, but I'll either just have a, if I can eat a nice healthy meal, um, like a big salad with, fish or something like that is something or i do like these green smoothies and again this is all me trying to control myself right so <laughs> the natural urge for me is to go completely crazy and go and have a wild meal and do all this crazy stuff but that to me is right now perfect day is me being sensible right um and then i'd say by the evening by the time i've uh, finished day maybe i'll be able to sneak in a proper workout that day let's say 3, 4 p.m. If I went was able to break up the day and um, I've done the work I need to do, I could go lift some weights or something. And then either doing something with my girlfriend or meeting friends for dinner and just enjoying uh, a nice long dinner with people talking. Again, these are all very, very normal things, right? Uh, it's nothing too crazy, but that's kind of after doing like crazy travel. I've probably traveled to like 50 plus countries, done the nomad stuff where I spent six months in one place and moved around with no belongings, like as much as I love all that stuff, like there is just something nice about having the home base and be, living in a place where we feel at peace. And uh, that might not always be the case here, but at the moment I do feel like that. And just having people that you love close enough that you can walk to and just meet in person is really, really, really nice for me. At the moment I don't have kids. I'm sure in the future if I had kids, that would be a part of my perfect day. But yeah, man, probably a boring answer, but that's the, that's the honest truth. That that would be a great day for me. No, no, I can totally get behind that. You've won the day before ten a.m. Right? You've that's key. Spoken to your parents. You've uh, got you've you know spoken to yourself, looked inside yourself, and uh, really won it from the inside out. And I think that's super, super important, right? Yeah, I will say that that park is something I didn't know I needed, but now it's very hard to think about living away from something, especially living in New York where you don't have a big garden like my parents garden is beautiful i can go sit out there i was just there in maine i had about 
27 cups of tea a day, even though it was really hot, just sitting in the garden. And that, you know, honestly, that's like as peaceful as it gets for me. But the close second is like going for this nice long walk around the trees and the and like the grass and just like the sun hitting you. It's all very basic stuff. But like coming back to your original question, like what have I learned? Like I learned that those are the things that are going to give you that day to day micro happiness, like finding those little things that are little wins and enjoying it sounds very zen but just like you're being in the present moment and you're just you're happy with the day you're you're at peace and and like having struggled with not having peace and you know without you know turning into a therapy session like there have been times where like growing up i would walk down the street and be scared of getting jacked you know like that is not peaceful and there's like a lot of anxiety and all that sort of stuff and now to be able to walk around and just feel at peace um, no one's on my back, like pinging me about something that I need to do urgently. Like those are really, really nice things for me to be able to have right now. Well, well, we've come to the end now, but I've so enjoyed this one, um, especially that part in the middle. I know we went a little bit, a little bit west. No, but, all good, know, man. This was the, great. Thanks for quite, quite often. The best conversations happen when you uh, when you go a little bit off script, and uh, it's it's been a lot of fun to do. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate you having me on, mate. Yeah, and let me know if you're ever in New York, we'll, we'll have to say hello. A hundred percent, buddy. Really appreciate your time, and I'll catch you soon. All right, cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.